Well, welcome back. How are we feeling? So glad to be in the room. Um, if we haven't met, my name is Mark. I get the opportunity uh, to serve on team here. And I just want to say a huge welcome to everyone that's here for the first time. Come on, let's put our hands together for all of those who are here for the first time. I want to say welcome home. I hope that you feel like you belong and that you're loved. And I hope we get an opportunity to connect um, after service in the lobby. Uh, we're going to have a time to hang out. But I'm excited for today because we're kicking off a new series called Here For It. And every year we like to take some time to talk through our values in this ministry. And I just wanted to start with this question. What is it that you value? Like you ever think about that question? What is it that I value? What do you place value on in this life? And I think this is a neglected question because the truth about values is values determine the direction and the course of your life. Values determine the direction and the course of your life. And over the next two to three weeks, you're, you're going to hear some messages on our values because I believe it's important for each and every one of us to understand what it is we value as a ministry here at the X. And whether you're on team, whether you're serving, whether you're one of our volunteers or even staff, or maybe you just walked into the room for the first time, I believe it's important for you to understand these values. As, as we've prayed and developed each and every one of these values, I believe these values will help us live the life that God has called us to live. And even more importantly than that, I believe these values will help us live our lives on mission so that we may impact this city with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So today, as we jump into these values, I want to start with our first value, and it's passion. Somebody say passion. We're going to speak about passion. I want to speak to you from this idea, when passion moves. When passion moves. We're going to spend some time in the book of Acts over the next two weeks, but Acts chapter 2 is where I want to start. And many of you know this passage or know this book of the Bible but the book of Acts is important because it comes right after the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And in the Gospels, we learn about Jesus, the Son of God. We learn that Jesus was born and Jesus lived the perfect life here on earth for 33 years. And in the last three years of his life, he started an earthly ministry. And Jesus, as the Son of God, he would make his way throughout many regions healing the sick meeting the needs of many different people, performing many signs and wonders, all pointing back to the fact that he is who he says he is. But what we know is true is that Jesus, he brings alongside of him 12 men called his disciples. And he invites these men into his life. And these men, they're following Jesus. They're, they're understanding what it means to be a follower of Jesus. They're learning this Messiah for who he is, the Son of God. And as they're following Jesus, Jesus sits them down one day. They're sitting at a table. And Jesus lets them know there's coming a time where I'm going to die. The most gruesome death in all of humanity and all of history. That's not bad news. That's good news because I am sending you my spirit. I'm sending you my spirit. And in that moment, the disciples are sitting there. They're perplexed. They, they don't understand what Jesus is saying in this moment. And Jesus tells them, don't worry, take heart. I'm overcoming the world, but I am sending you and promising you my Holy Spirit. I got good news for you today, friends. That spirit is the same spirit that lives within us. But I just wonder, why is it that we don't live that way? Why is it that we 
We don't live that way. You see, as Jesus promised the Holy Spirit to his disciples, surely right after that, he's arrested, he's tried and crucified, the most gruesome death in all of humanity, and he's hung on a cross, and uh, after three days, he, he reappears to his disciples. And the disciples are like, whoa, 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 whoa. We just saw you die. Explain. And Jesus goes, don't get caught up in all of that. Focus on the fact that I'm going to give you now power through my spirit. Focus on the fact that I'm giving you power through my spirit to live the life that I've called you to live. What we know is 50 days later, the day of Pentecost comes. That word Pentecost means 50. It was 50 days after Jesus resurrected and appeared to his people. The Holy Spirit falls in a group of believers in what's called the upper room. And here's how we get to Acts chapter 2. In Acts chapter 2, what we learn is there's a group of Christians, there's a group of believers, a small group of Christians that were there one day in the upper room. And as they're there in the upper room, the Bible says the Holy Spirit falls on all of the people in the upper room. And in this moment, these people, they start to speak in different languages and speak in tongues. For the power of God had fallen on the room in that moment. And many people who didn't understand what Jesus had prophesied and promised began to say, yo, these men is drunk right now. <laughs> these dudes are, are, are drunk right now. But what I love about this moment is one of the disciples, a man by the name of Peter, he stands up and filled with passion, he begins to preach the first sermon that would lead to a movement called the Church of Jesus Christ. Acts chapter 2, verse 14. We're going to pick up here. It says, Then Peter stepped forward with the 11 other apostles, and he shouted to the crowd, Listen carefully, all of you, fellow Jews and residents of Jerusalem. Make no mistake about this. These people are not drunk, as some of you are assuming. Man, it's 9 in the morning. It's way too early for these guys to be this lit. Verse 16, though what you see was predicted long ago by the prophet Joel. Don't want you to miss this. It says this. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. In those days, I will pour out my spirit on men and women alike, and they shall prophesy. And I will cause wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and clouds of smoke. The sun will become dark and the moon will turn blood red before that great and glorious day the Lord arrives. I love this right here. But everyone, somebody say everyone. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. For people of Israel, God publicly endorsed Jesus the Nazarene by doing powerful miracles, wonders, and signs through him, as you well know. But God knew what would happen, and his prearranged plan was carried out when Jesus was betrayed. With the help of the lawless Jews, you nailed him to a cross and killed him. But God released him from the horrors of death and raised him back to life. For death could not keep him in its grips. Come on, somebody. That is good news for us today. 
That is the reason why we gather. That's the reason why we worship. He defeated sin, death, and the grave so we could have life and life more abundantly. As I think about this passage, I think this passage should lead us to passion. This, this passage should lead us to, to passion for the gospel and the message of Jesus Christ. And I just wonder, have you ever thought about passion? Like, what are you passionate about in this life? What is it that you're passionate about in this life? Let me tell you, one of the things I'm passionate about in this season of life, uh, you probably think I'd say my daughter, of course. You'd probably think I'd say my wife, of course. I'm really passionate about the game of golf, okay? My wife's watching this online. I love you so much. You're, you're number one, second to God, actually. Anyways, I'm passionate about the game of golf. I don't know why, because I am terrible at the game of golf, okay? And lately, all of my free time on my day off on Fridays, I've been spending hours at the golf course trying to perfect my game. In my time in the evenings, I'll spend time watching golf matches and I'll watch videos on how to get a better golf swing. And I'll spend time bickering with my wife because she goes, Mark, you're spending hundreds of dollars on golf, not on the match itself, but because you keep losing all of these golf balls, you need to get it together or stop. But I'm, I'm passionate about this. I'm passionate, I'm passionate, I'm passionate. I just wonder, what are you passionate about today? Some of you, you're passionate about your job, you're passionate about your career. Some of you are passionate about your, your boyfriend or maybe your girlfriend. Nobody wants to admit that, right? How do I know? Not only do they have a grip of your heart, but they got a grip of your wallet too. You're passionate about your relationship. You're passionate, you're passionate. You're passionate about your relationship. But I think oftentimes we misunderstand what that word passion means. You see, passion means a strong desire or emotion towards something or someone. And when I talk about passion today, I just want to start with this thought. I would submit this thought to us today that many of us have come short of understanding what it looks like and means to live with a passion for Jesus. I think many of us, we've misunderstood what it looks like and means to live with a passion for Jesus. And today, I believe too many of us have mistaken checklist Christianity as a passion for Jesus. I think so many of us, we, we, we live in a day and age where checklist Christianity has become the norm. I'm just going to go to church when it's convenient. I heard the message about serving from Pastor Ralph this weekend, but I'll serve when it's convenient. Man, I'll, I'll start maybe praying when I actually need something from God. I'll open my Bible and start to read when I need a word of encouragement for my spirit. Many of us today, we're living with checklist Christianity and we're believing this is the norm. And friends, I want you to know today, as we're living with checklist Christianity on the other side of the world, there are people who are being persecuted for their faith. There are people who are passionate about the gospel. There's people who are passionate about the message of Jesus Christ and they find themselves in a time where they're persecuted for their beliefs. I just wonder today, if you were to be persecuted for your faith, would you still choose Jesus? If you were to be persecuted for having a relationship with Jesus, would you still choose him? I would just submit this thought that Jesus, he didn't die for a checklist faith. He didn't die for convenient Christianity. 
He didn't die for plastic prayers and shallow faith and shallow worship. Jesus died so that we may have life and life more abundantly and that we may have a passion for the truth and the gospel of Jesus Christ. He didn't die for our shallow faith. He didn't die for checklist Christianity and convenient faith. He died that we may know the truth and the truth would set us free and that we would live with a passion because the hope that we have in Jesus. Died so that we could have a passion, a passion for him. And I just sense in this hour, in this day and age, God's calling us to rekindle our passion and desire for him. You see, in Acts chapter 2, Peter in this moment, he helps us understand what passion for God and passion for Jesus looks like. See, in this moment, he, he starts preaching. He stands up, and he begins to preach the gospel to these people. He's letting them know that Jesus came, he lived the perfect life, and he died on a cross for our sins. So because of that, we have freedom, and we have hope, and now we have life. And I think so many of us believe in today's day and age, that's where the gospel ends. How many of you know the gospel doesn't end with Jesus dying on a cross and hanging there? The gospel continues with Jesus defeating sin, death, and the grave, resurrecting and showing himself to all of humanity. But the news gets better because he promises he's pouring out his spirit. He's pouring out his spirit. And Peter, because of that truth, he's, he's filled with this passion, and he can't help but let the people know the rest of the story. In Acts chapter 2, verse 32 through 33, it says this. Peter continued. He said, God raised Jesus from the dead, and we are all witnesses of this. Verse 33, I don't want you to miss this. Now he is exalted to the place of highest honor in heaven at God's right hand. And the Father, as he had promised, gave him the Holy Spirit, to pour out upon us, just as you hear and see this today. See, Peter knows Jesus is who he says he is, and he stands up and says, yo, Jesus defeated sin, death, and the grace. He rose, out, he rose out of the tomb, but he also sent his spirit, and his spirit is upon us. His spirit is within us, and friends, I want you to know it's the spirit of the living God that ignites a passion within our hearts. And I would submit this thought to you. If you are missing out on what it looks like and means to live with a passion for Jesus, I would submit you are missing out on his spirit in your life. You're missing out on his spirit living within you. The Bible says in Romans chapter 8, verse 11, the spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. You see, the church is to be filled with passion and boldness. Why? Because the church is a temple of the living, breathing God and the spirit of the living, breathing God. We should be filled with passion. We should be filled with a boldness. But look at this moment because you see in the text in Acts chapter 2, verse 17, Peter begins to recite what we see God says in the book of Joel, chapter 2, verse 28 through 32. You see, God, he, he speaks to this prophet, the prophet Joel, in Joel chapter 2, verse 28. But Peter recites it in Acts chapter 2, verse 17. And Peter, in this moment, he says, in the last days, God is going to do everything that he prophesied and promised. He says, in the last day, God is pouring out his spirit on all men and women. He says, in the last day, God is returning. Jesus is returning, and he's not coming as a suffering servant. He's coming back as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He says, in the last day, God is sending his son back, and he is bringing justice and healing and freedom and hope for our souls. 
Oh, friends, don't miss this today. I think so many of us today, we read the Bible and we stop at the end of the gospel where Jesus Christ died as a suffering servant, but don't miss the truth. He's coming back as King of kings and Lord of lords. That should move us to passion. That should ignite something within us. And Peter, he can't help himself. He can't hold that back. He's filled with passion because of that truth. The gospel, it births passion within us. The Holy Spirit, it ignites passion within us. But the promise of his second coming, it emboldens our passion. It emboldens our passion. And I want you to know what you're supposed to do with that passion. See, the first thing I want you to know, our our passion should move us closer to God. Our passion should move us closer to God. Acts chapter 2, verse 36 through 38. We're going to pick up there. I love this moment because here we see Peter's continuing to preach, and he says, So let everyone in Israel know for certain that God has made this Jesus whom you've crucified to be both Lord and Messiah. Peter's words pierced their heart, and they said to him and to the other apostles, don't miss this question, Brothers, what should we do? And look at his response. Peter replied, he said, each of you must repent. Somebody say repent. You must repent for your sins and turn to God. When I speak about our passion moving us closer to God, friend, what I'm talking about is repentance. It should lead us to repent. See, when we understand the gospel that Jesus Christ died, not just on a cross, but our cross, it should lead me, yes, to seek him for forgiveness, but it should lead me to repentance. I remember when I was a kid, uh, I always mentioned I grew up in church, but at one of the Baptist churches that we went to, um, one of the pastors, he was speaking about repentance. I remember he said, if you fail to repent, God will strike you down. Imagine like a six-year-old kid and just, whoa, you know. As he said that, I remember as a kid, I, I thought until my parents explained it to me and gave me good doctrine. I thought every single time it rained or there was thunder, If I didn't confess for all of my sins, God would strike me down dead. So every time it rained, every time there was thunder, I'm like walking around like, God, I'm sorry for the time I stole that car from that kid. But repentance, friends, it's it's, it's not forgiveness. Repentance is acknowledging that there's something in your life that is wrong and you leave that thing behind and you turn your attention towards God and you leave that thing behind to start pursuing the things of God. That's what repentance is. And I think this word repent and repentance, it's the forgotten word in the church today. I think oftentimes you'll hear messages on God's kindness and his grace and his love and his mercy and his gentleness and his his care. But we forget about repentance. I wholeheartedly believe in the kindness and the grace of God. It's Romans chapter 2 that says uh, in verse 4, That it's God's kindness that leads man to repentance. I wholeheartedly believe that. It is God's kindness that leads man to repentance. But I also believe it's man's repentance that gives them an opportunity to be free of God's wrath. It's man's repentance, their understanding of the gospel, their conviction to turn from the things of the world, to turn towards the things of God that frees them from God's wrath. But I think so many of us today... We forget the importance of repentance. It's in 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 through 17. The scriptures 
say this. First John chapter 2, verse 15 through 17, it says, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for your Father is not in them. It continues to say this in the text, that if we continue to love the things of the world, if we continue to pursue the things of the world, we must look at our heart and ask, have I truly surrendered my life to Jesus? See, what I'm trying to help you understand through this text is the Spirit of God that lives within us, it leads us towards godliness, but the flesh in our lives leads us towards worldliness. It's the Spirit of God within us that leads us towards godliness, and it's a call to put aside worldliness. I think in today's day and age, it's important we understand all of us know this to be true. Lost people, it hurts God's heart. Lost people, it hurts God's heart. But what I believe hurts God's heart even more is people who know Jesus, but still live and love the world. Lost people, it, it, it breaks God's heart, but the people who come and worship and sing the songs and, and pray to him and cry out to him, but still live for the world and still love the things of the world, that breaks his heart even more. And I think that the church, we need to awaken something in our spirit that makes us realize that the spirit of conviction has been chasing after us and God is calling us to godliness and not worldliness. Gotta wake up and realize 1 Corinthians chapter 3, I love this, because Paul, he would be speaking to the church of Corinth. And as he's speaking to the church of Corinth in this moment, he says this, Dear brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but instead I address you as people who are still worldly, for you are mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it yet. Indeed, you are still not ready because you are still worldly. Just wonder as I read that passage, as we read this thought, how many of us would still receive that rebuke and call out from God in today's day and age? I just think so many of us, even those of you who, who come to the ministry, you come and hang and you just keep going, man, I want to go deeper. I want more challenge. I want to be challenged in my faith. I want a greater knowledge of God. I want to know God more and more. I want to experience God's presence in my life. But friend, you're still tolerating the sin from day one in your life. And God's looking at you saying, are you really ready for more of me? Because if you know the Bible, the Bible tells us where the presence of God is, sin can't be there. But some of us need to ask God to purify our hearts, to crucify the sin in our lives so that we could turn towards God and pursue him. I just want to pass you in this moment. Some of you today, you need to realize you need to cut off some people and places and things in your life that are keeping you from living the life that God is calling you to live. Some of you still keep hanging out with people. Maybe it's that boyfriend or girlfriend that keeps on encouraging you to do things that you know you shouldn't be doing. Maybe you're going to the places and the spaces on Friday night, Saturday night, living your life for the weekend, for the turn up, and you know God has called you out of those places. Maybe you keep on looking at things and doing things that you know God has delivered you from, but you keep on turning back. I'm here to tell you today, don't turn back, but turn your attention towards the King of kings and the Lord of lords and ask him to purify your heart. It's our passion. It's our passion that moves us towards a heart of repentance. It's our passion that moves us towards God. Second thing I want you to know today is our passion, it moves us towards God's people. 
our passion, it, it should move us towards God's people. And when I say that, I think this comes alive in the text that we read in Acts chapter 2, because after we read about Peter preaching this sermon, what we learn in the next few moments, that many of these men, they start asking men and women, how do we, how do we follow after Jesus? What does this look like? And the scriptures actually tell us after Peter finishes his sermon that over 3,000 people started a relationship with Jesus. But in verse 42, it tells us that they became a community of people. I don't want you to miss this. These people, they started out as a crowd that was listening to a sermon. And they then moved on to being a community of people who were living together. That's why here at The Exchange, we say we're not a crowd, but a community. I believe God's called us to live among one another, to share each other's burdens, to care for one another, to pray for one another, to do life together. That's why we have small groups. That's why we do what we do. That's why we're doing Colossians all throughout the summer. God has called us to community, not isolation. God's called us to community, not to sit here and hear a sermon and be a part of a crowd. There's more that he wants for you. There's more that he wants for you. The second thing that we experience or see in the text is that when it comes to our passion moving us, our passion should move us to sharing our faith with other people. Our passion, it should move us to, to sharing our faith with, with other people. I'm going to use a super churchy word. Our passion should move us to witnessing to unbelievers should move us to, to witness, to share what God's done for you and for me. Think about how many times we read in the Bible, people sharing their faith after they encountered Jesus. Not only that, but I think about in this text, Peter, the first thing he, he did after he heard all of these unbelievers quarreling and bickering about the tongues in this moment, Peter, he stands up and he begins to share what it is that he believes. Just wonder how many of us in the room today, we say, I'm sold out for Jesus. I'm a follower of Jesus. I love Jesus, but you have never shared your faith. I think the church has kept Jesus as its best kept secret. Think about this moment in Acts chapter two as Peter begins to preach and share what it is he believes. We, we then get to the moment Fast forward a couple chapters later in Acts chapter 4. Peter and John, they're out, they're sharing the gospel and preaching the gospel. And they come across a group of people that are starting to give them some challenge about what they're preaching, the message, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And as Peter and John continue to preach in this moment, it's these men that were bothering Peter and John, trying to keep them from preaching the gospel and the truth of Jesus Christ. They look at these two men, Peter and John, and say, surely these men have been in the presence of God, for we cannot mess with them. I just sense this is our call for today's day and age, that people would see something in you before you even have to say anything about what you believe. I just pray that we would be a people that live with a genuine boldness in our faith, that it shakes the city of Tampa Bay. 
I just pray that we be a people that have such a boldness about the God in heaven that we live for, that people can't help but ask, what is it on your life? There is something about you. I pray that we would be a people that awakens something within us and we start to proclaim the truth. I once was blind, but now I see. I once was lost, but now I am found. I think God's waiting on a generation of people who are pushing away checklist Christianity, who are pushing away shallow faith, who are pushing away plastic prayers and living with a passion and a boldness for the things of God. Just believe when we when we share our faith, when we share what God has done in our life. Friend, it's not about you getting the glory. It's about him getting the glory. Your story is intended for God's glory. It's not about you. It's about him. So would you stop operating in your own strength and would you ask the Holy Spirit to give you the boldness, to give you the courage, to give you the words, to share with the unbelievers at your work, to share with the unbelievers at your school, to share with the unbelievers under the roof of your home. Ask him. Ask him. As I close, last observation from this text is that it's Peter's passion that moved him towards serving. I believe as we're followers of Jesus, we, we've all been called to serve. But this is an area that so many of us, we, we fall short of and we don't follow through with. You go, man, it looks like they have it all figured out. I'm gonna leave it to them. But God's calling us in this moment to be a people who are, a people who live their lives in service to God and service to others. You know, when Peter preaches this message, we get to Acts chapter two, verse 42, all of the believers, they gather together, thousands of them. They sell all of their possessions, the scriptures tell us. They begin to sit with one another. They begin to have meals together. They sold everything to meet each and everyone's needs. But moments after that, we then learn that Peter, he moves on. And in Acts chapter three, we see him and John, they're, they're out, they're traveling, and they're actually headed to a temple to go and pray. But as they're headed to a temple to go and pray, there was a man who was a lame man. He was unable to walk. He was paralyzed. And scriptures tell us that he had been in this place for many, many years. And he was begging people for money. And in Acts chapter 3, Peter and John, they're walking towards the temple. And this man, he begins to beg them for money. But listen what it says in verse 4. Peter and John looked at this man intently. And Peter said, would you look at us? And the lame man, he, he looked at them eagerly expecting some money. But Peter said, I don't have any silver or gold for you, but I will give you what I do have. In the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, get up and walk. Then Peter, he took the lame man by the right hand and helped him up. And as he did, the man's feet and ankles were instantly healed and strengthened. He jumped, he, he stood to his feet, and he began to walk. Then walking, leaping, and praising God, he went into the temple with them. And all the people who saw him walking and heard him praising God, they began to praise God. And when they realized he was a lame beggar they had seen at the beautiful gate, they were absolutely astounded and gave God glory for all he had done. They gave God glory for 
all he had done. You see, friends, sometimes the greatest way to meet someone's spiritual need is by addressing their physical need. We're going to be a people who are passionate about the gospel. We're going to be a people who are passionate about the message of Jesus Christ. We need to be committed to serving and meeting the needs of others. That's why this week at Grace Family Church, we're doing something called Serve Week. We've got 1,600 plus people signed up to serve all throughout the city of Tampa Bay. I'm just wondering today, what's your part to play? This upcoming Saturday, we've got Serve Saturday taking place, the exchange. We've got two opportunities over at Ebor. I'm inviting you to be a part in serving God and meeting the needs of other people. This is one of the things that we're called to as we're called to live with a passion for Jesus. We're called to service. As I close today, I want you to stand to your feet. You know, I just get so passionate about this because I believe God is calling the church in this hour to rekindle their passion and their fire for God. I believe God is calling the church to attention and he's calling us to awaken our spirit. He's calling us to turn our attention towards him. He's calling us to recognize him for who he is, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. I just believe he's calling us here at the exchange to rekindle the fire and the desire for the things of God within us. And I just want to challenge you as a pastor of this ministry, I want to pastor you, I want to lead you, I want to shepherd you. And I just want you to know we are called to be a people who are serving. We are called to be a people who are light in a city of darkness. We are called to be a people who are witnessing and testifying. I once was blind, but now I can see. I once was lost, but now I am found. We are called to be a people who are not existing as a crowd on a Tuesday, but a community Monday through Sunday. We are called to be a people who are standing up for the truth of Jesus Christ. He's calling us to passion. He's calling us to live our lives on mission for the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's calling us to be a people who are moving towards lost people. He's calling us to be a people who are moving towards godliness and holiness in Christ Jesus. Passion, it moves us, but will you take the step? Passion, it moves us, but will you accept the challenge? We're gonna go into a song in a moment. But as I said, I, I just feel so burdened about this. When I look at a room with 400 plus people in a room gathered, I just believe that God is saying, Mark, you need to help them understand. Checklist Christianity isn't gonna do it. Shallow prayers aren't gonna do it. Shallow faith isn't gonna do it. They need to ask me to bring revival in their hearts. We need a revival in our hearts. And so many of us today, we're saying, God, we want to see a revival, but God is looking at you saying, revival starts within you first. Revival starts in your heart. Not waiting for tomorrow, not waiting for next week. Revival starts right now. So if you feel comfortable, would you just lift your hands? Would you just express to God, God, I am desperate for an outpouring of your spirit. God, I want to live a passionate life that's set on fire for the things of you. God, I want to live with a boldness for you. Father, right now, you see the faith of your people. God, we ask you right now by the power of your Holy Spirit, would you come and fall afresh on this room? God, would you reveal yourself as the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the Alpha and the Omega? God, would you awaken our 
our spirits. God, would you start a fire in our hearts? God, would you send us out to be the change of the world that we wish to see? God, would you stir up something new in our hearts? Would you challenge us to share the gospel with the lost, to minister and serve those who are far from you, that they may see you in us and we for a second. God, we give you the glory. We give you the praise. 